Shalom and welcome to Shomer Mitzvot, Torah Observant, a series on practical messianic living and apologetics. I'm the author, Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been and always will be. The Torah proper instructed the people of Israel to love Adonai your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your resources. This is where Shomer Mitzvot begins, by loving Hashem and accepting Him on His terms. By this, I mean accepting His means of covenant obedience. For today, this means acceptance of Yeshua, His only Son, for Jew and non-Jew alike. Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Exegeting Galatians, a Messianic Jewish commentary. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avino Malkino, our Father, our King. Uh, Lord, here we are once again, and we're ready to study. We're ready to listen to what you have to say. Father, it's so easy so often for us to um, listen to the voice in our head that is our own and uh, be convinced that what we're telling ourselves is truth. And in this day and age of, of overload of information, it's so hard sometimes to determine what is truth and what is not truth, what is error. And so uh, we are so thankful, Lord, that we have your objective words that have been preserved for us in the pages of the Bible, the only book that you fully endorse. And so uh, we're, we're uh, going to uh, set our minds to study in order to understand, that is, to do, and then we, within that um, framework, we'll then be in a position where we can teach others the things that we are learning to do ourselves. It's kind of what I call the Ezra approach. Ezra studied the Torah in order to do the Torah, and and then in order to be able to teach others uh, what he has learned and then what he's doing. So, Lord, let's let's use Ezra's approach to scriptures as well. Let's study the words of God in order that we might be able to understand with the uh, purpose of doing what we're studying. So we study in order to do. And then from that, Lord, we know that you will challenge us to be able to and give us an opportunity to be able to teach others about the things that we ourselves have studied and put into practice. And so thank you, Father, that we've got this opportunity and that we've got this responsibility as Bible students, as ambassadors of your kingdom, uh, as those who have been um, commissioned by you, by Yeshua himself, to take the good news uh, to around the world. To, to, you know, it started in Jerusalem, as it were, this, this, as we read about that in the, the end of the book of Matthew, about the Great Commission. Uh, we know the gospel had already been around in Abraham's time, but, but there was this renewed sense of Holy Spirit-driven uh, um, uh, evangelism, where we, where suddenly the explosion of the ministry of the Holy Spirit would would take what was formerly only kind of concentrated within ethnic Israel or national Israel, and and explode and go around the world and now reach to the the, the Gentiles, who were not uh, part of the uh, uh, 
part of the what we'd say uh, the original plan or well I suppose they were part of the original plan but they weren't they weren't part of the immediate um, horizon of people groups so um, thank you Lord that we are part of that responsibility thank you that we heard the gospel that we responded to it thank you that your Holy Spirit has been poured out uh, without measure to us abroad into our hearts and causes us to remember the words of the master and causes us to praise you all the more and to leave leave uh, live lives that are pleasing to you and lives that are sanctified by your word. So we'll be careful, Lord, to uh, to give you the praise and glory for all of these wonderful truths. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. All right. Well, welcome, everyone, once again to another class, uh, another podcast in the book of Galatians. My name is Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher uh, from a, a congregation in Colorado, Thornton, Colorado, called Kehilat Nuva, which translates from the Hebrew into uh, English as basically the harvest. And um, we're a Messianic congregation of Jews and Gentiles meeting every Shabbat. Uh, at 1 p.m. if you are in the Denver area, I personally invite you out to come and worship with us, study Torah with us. Pastor Martin McClellan is the senior pastor. And you'll find him there every week uh, preaching the sermon. You won't find me there because I don't live in Colorado anymore. I live in South Korea. I'm bringing these podcasts to you live via Skype. So if you're in the Denver area, hit my congregation and tell them Ariel sent you. But if you don't live there, and even if you do, if you have the opportunity to join me each week, let me just give you a quick logistical um, invitation. Um, You need Skype in order to um, meet with us every week. We meet from about 7 p.m. to about 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. So just whatever time zone you're in, adjust it according to Central Time, and that's the time that we meet at. Uh, We meet for about an hour each week. We go through the Galatians notes that I have put together and made available on my website at www.tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H dot com, tetzetorah.com. And right on the homepage, I've provided a link to the Galatians commentary. Click on that link and all of the relevant information to uh, download the PDF document, which is a couple hundred pages long, about 200 pages or so if you're interested in printing it out, or um, the links to the audio classes that I record each week are available right there on the page. If this is your first time hearing me on the internet, or maybe someone sent you a link to this MP3 and this is your first time hearing this, or you, you happen to be browsing through the iTunes store and you uh, you're a, a, a student of the word, whether Jew or Gentile, believer or unbeliever, and you happen to find my Galatians podcast. Well, Baruch Hashem, I'm glad you're able to uh, listen to this podcast. In case you're not able to join us live, I record each session each week, and then after a few days of post-production, I upload the audio recording to my website, which then pushes a copy over to the iTunes store, and you can reach it there. You can also subscribe to the Galatians notes from my website, and if you do that, it enables you to be able to follow the study a little more conveniently, because with being a member of the Galatians newsletter uh, means that I send you the weekly show notes, the the the, the short section of the commentary that we're going to be dealing with each week, the you know two or three paragraphs or a page or whatever. I uh, uh, put that in an email in the newsletter and shoot it out to the subscribers, as well as after I have. Um, uh, edited the show and, and uploaded it to my uh, to the internet, I send an email um, notice out to the subscribers 
letting them know that the link is available and there's a link in the uh, newsletter and I let them know that the link is there for them to click on the sh the uh, audio show if they missed it that week and then finally if you're subscribed to the uh, the weekly Galatians uh, show newsletter then before each weekly show I send out the link that has the Skype link so you should so should be able to just click on the Skype link and it, it'll open up, it'll launch Skype in your browser or, or on your computer or on your smartphone, your tablet or whatever, and allow you to join the session, go straight to the uh, session a little more easily than if you didn't have the link. In fact, you have to have the Skype link in order to, to join the live class each week. So my point is, if you're listening to this audio recording uh, after the fact and you're not yet a member of the uh, subscribe Galatians notes, well then, what are you waiting for, right? Subscription is free. I don't charge anything, and as I've tried to make it as easy as possible. And if, of course, if you have questions, you can email me. My email address is found on my website or at the bottom of every one of my commentaries. My email, and you can email me and ask me questions about the study and things like that. Okay, all right. Um, also, if you are uh, listening to this and you have questions about what we're studying. Maybe you disagree with my position on the book of Galatians or my, my theology of Paul, or you uh, maybe want me to clarify something I said in a previous show or something like that, please feel free to email me. Uh, I welcome questions and comments. Um, I don't think I've got the final uh, uh, final word on the uh, study. So um, if you're, you know, you're certainly welcome to... to uh, Correct me where you feel I'm wrong. I'm open to correction and things like that. So shoot me an email. Uh, go to my website and click on the upper right corner. I believe there's a little, uh, either in the upper right corner or the very bottom of every page, there's a little icon that looks like an envelope. You can click on that and shoot me an email uh, in courtesy of my website. That's fine too. All right. Without further ado, let's get started with the show tonight. Uh, I think we'll go for another... Where do I go? I, I don't think the show will be too long tonight. We'll see. We don't have a lot to talk about as far as the notes, but there are some other passages that I want to bring into the discussion, so maybe we'll fill out the entire hour tonight. Let's date stamp our recording. Uh, today is January the 13th for most of you, 2018, and this is week number 87 of our show notes of our uh, podcast. We've been going for about two years, a little over two years, and we meet for 10 weeks as in a semester, and then we take a break for two weeks, uh, give us time to kind of rest and get caught up on things we missed, and then we pick up again with another 10-week semester. So 10 weeks on, two weeks off, 10 weeks on, two weeks off. So we're uh, approaching another semester break here as we get towards move towards uh, show number 90. All right, um... For those of you who are with me in the live class, of course you remember that uh, after each live session we stick around for, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever we like, for some kind of an after show chat and live Q&A, that type of thing. And if you are not um, joining me live each week for these podcasts, well then you're missing out. Just ask the students who are able to, to meet with me live uh, during that after Showtime, we I turn off the microphone. I mean, I turn off the recording. That is, uh, meaning that nothing gets pushed up to iTunes or to my website. So you're free to speak your mind without worrying about who else is going to hear you, besides the other people in the live uh, Skype room. So join us each week if you are uh, interested in uh, sharing your opinions and band uh, throwing back. Uh, 
throwing uh, questions and answers back and forth amongst one another uh, during the live chat. It's only available exclusively to the live Skype listeners. Understand? All right. Let's open with some liturgy real quick. Uh, we're using the same liturgy uh, that we've been using for the last few weeks because of the nature of the topic that we're centered on. Um, we're going to be hitting the last two verses in the chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. And we've been in this um, topic uh, where Paul's talking about um, you know, the fruit of the Spirit contrasted with, against the works of the flesh at the very end of the book of Galatians chapter 5. And, he's, and he admonishes us to live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, and it's because we are not under the law. If, if we're led by the Spirit, we're not under the law. Uh, you know, We're not under the, under the condemning feature of the law. We're not under the bondage that, that the law and sin have towards one another. We're not under um, the, the, the penalties that are pronounced in the law against unrepentant sinners, uh, things like that. So um, we're in this section about about basically... Um, our position in Messiah because of our faith in him coupled with our new responsibility and privilege of not only being filled with the Spirit but our responsibility to walk and live by the Spirit. So it's a little bit of what God has done coupled with a little bit of what we ourselves are responsible for doing, right? It's a partnership. It's a, it's a, it's a synergism between God and the Spirit. I'm sorry, between God's Spirit and, and, and us, our own will, uh, to do the will of God, to do what's pleasing to God. So we're, that's the theme of the final few verses that we're reading about. And it's within that context that we've been using the Ezekiel passage, Ezekiel chapter 36, which is one of the more clear uh, passages, prophecies given to ancient Israel about the future status of Israel where God would one day bring her into a fullness of, of relationship with himself, and in this uh, renewed relationship, in this um, in this reformation of Israel herself, she would be filled with the Spirit of God, and there would be a reaction. There would be there's a cause and uh, an effect going on, and let's read about that in our liturgy. Ezekiel chapter 36, and these are familiar words to most of you who've been following along with my notes for any length of time. This is one of my favorite passages, which is why I brought it into the. Uh, liturgy and why I use it so frequently. Also, by way of topic reference, um, the, the the topic of the Holy Spirit, the Ruch Hakodesh, isn't um, fleshed out in the pages in the five in the pages of the five books of Moshe. Yeah, that's right, because God's revelation kind of unfolds as you unroll the scroll before you, so to say. God's um, truths are sometimes uh, not always, but sometimes they are 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 um, systematically uh, uh, presented to us as his people as time unfolds and as God's purposes uh, are met. We know that, of course, God's plans will always come to pass because he's God and because he is in control of of human history. And so uh, it's kind of like a scroll that needs to be unrolled. The contents are already there. God knows the the end from the beginning. He knows the future already because he exists in the eternal present, which includes what we would call the future. But from God's perspective, since he's outside of space and time, he already knows that Israel is going to inherit this Holy Spirit heart change that we're going to read about in the book of Ezekiel. But according to God's purpose and design, he didn't reveal all of that in the pages of the Torah. 
That's the point I'm trying to make. Yet, it is, it's a truth, it's a reality from God's perspective. And so you don't read a lot about the Holy Spirit when you read through the, the five pages of Moshe. You have to re- continue reading the rest of the story, the rest of the historical um, accounts of Israel moving into the land and things like that, if you want to understand the history and the future of Israel, and indeed the future and history of the Gentile um, uh, engrafting to Israel that we read about in Romans chapter 11, you have to continue reading through the prophecies that were given to Israel. You can't just stop reading with the first five books of Moshe, right? That's a challenge to my, um, probably to my, uh, uh, what do we call it, the, uh, the, what are those Jew the, the the sect of Judaism that doesn't hold to reading the 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 rest of the Torah? I can't remember their name at the moment. Anyway, um, let's read through our liturgy for tonight. Uh, Ezekiel chapter thirty-six. This is our familiar passage, where God promises to uh, one day redeem them as a corporate group. This doesn't mean that redemption hasn't and doesn't take place on an individual level, it most certainly does, and it has been ongoing as far as on a personal level ever since Israel was a nation, ever since there was a people called Israel, ever since there was really humans. A new covenant is something that's available. It's not time-bound. It's not locked into a time or dispensation. At least that's the way I understand Scripture. Um, So let's read about what God is going to do to Israel corporately one day. Let's start in verse 20. Two, we'll read the English out of the uh, 1917 Jewish Publication Society version that I've got pulled up on my screen, and then we will join the Hebrew along with that afterwards. Starting in verse 22, we'll read just down through verse 20. Oh, I think I'll stop at verse 28 is where I usually stop. Uh, verse 22, English says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name, which ye have profaned among the nations whither ye came. Verse 23, And I will sanctify my great name, which hath been profaned among the nations, which ye have profaned in the midst of them, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Verse 24, For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your own land. Verse 25, and I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols will I cleanse you. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep mine ordinances and do them. Verse 28, you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. All right. Give me a second. Let's look at Skype. I think some other people may have joined. Yeah. All right. Okay. So then let's keep going with the liturgy. Let's, let's turn to verse 22 now and look at the Hebrew real quick. For those of you who are with me in the live classes, this is on the left side of your screen. We're starting right there. Hebrew reading uh, right to left, of course. Starting in verse 22, it reads, L'chein emor levet Yisrael ko amar Adonai Adonai lo l'ma'anchem ani osed beit Yisrael ki im lashim kadshi asher chalotem bagoyim asher batam sham. Verse 23, V'kibash ti et shmi hagado ham chalal bagoyim asher chalotem 
הגויים, כי אני אדוני נאום אדוני אדוני, וכי קדשי לכם לעיניהם. ולקחתי אתכם מן הגויים, וכיבדתי אתכם מכל הארצות, והבאתי אתכם אל אדמתכם. וזרחתי עליכם מים טהורים וטהרתם מכל תומותיכם ומכל גילוליכם אטהר אתכם. ונתתי לכם לב חדש ורוח חדשה אתן בכיר בכם והסירותי את לב האבן מבשרכם ונתתי לכם לב בשר. Verse 27, unto me, my people. Va'anuchi and I am Ehe will be, and I, Va'anuchi and I will be, Ehe unto you, Lachem, the people, Le'elohim, a God to you, or, or your God, literally. So, or unto you, you as a God. All right, and that'll be our liturgy from the Tanakh. Let's turn now to the uh, Apostolic Scriptures. The book of Galatians chapter 5. And keep in mind as we're reading through the book of Galatians that Ezekiel promised that God said he'll put a new heart with them then and a new spirit he'll put within you. So we've got a new heart and a new spirit. And then uh, we're going to talk about how this heart transplant and the spirit in filling gives national Israel the ability to walk in God's statutes and keep his ordinances and do them. These are features that Israel has been uh, unable to do historically as a corporate people in the, in the sense that God counts them as, as behaviorally righteous in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, it's true Israel from time to time can do what God asks of her from a, from a natural perspective as an old people, meaning as a, as a national, natural people and, you know, without regeneration from the Holy Spirit. You can actually keep the Torah as a sinner. You can keep the Torah as an unsaved person is what I'm trying to say. But it's, you'll, you're, the, the, the capacity of your Torah keeping will be limited. It's going to be uh, uh, short-lived. Uh, your fruit won't live very long. In fact, it'll actually ultimately be fruit-bearing for death. You'll bear fruit for death, as we read about in the book of Romans. So let's look at, it's within that context that Paul's going to challenge us to live by the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. All of these spiritual promises that are available to us now that we've come to name the name of Yeshua are not said in contradiction to the, the activity of the Torah in her life. They're actually in contradiction to the old nature that we inherited from Adam. The sinful nature is in opposition to the new spirit man that is birthed as a result of our placing Yeshua uh, as the object of our faith. And that's really the difference that we're going to talk about tonight in tonight's study. But let's look at our... Um, Let's look at our liturgy first. Let's turn to the ESV of Galatians chapter 5. And we'll, we're just going to read the last 11 verses in our liturgy. That's the section that we've uh, been studying for the last few weeks. 
keep in step with the Spirit is what my uh, the Bible version I'm using, uh, how it labels this particular last section of the book of uh, Galatians chapter 5. And starting in verse 16, we read out of the ESV, But I say, Paul teaches, Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning the opposite is true. If you don't walk by the Spirit, you will gratify the desires of the flesh, right? I, I like looking at passages such as this and sometimes um, looking at this as a um, as a principle that we can l- uh, state in reverse so that we can understand the impact of what we're uh, reading before us. In other words, uh, we can always sometimes swap the principle around or, or look at the opposite uh, logic or the opposite uh, uh, teaching and understand uh, what will happen if we don't walk by the Spirit? Well, what will happen is if you'll gra- is that you'll gratify the desires of the flesh. And that verse 15, you'll bite and devour one another and be consumed by one another. And verse 26, if you don't walk by the Spirit, you'll become conceited and provoke one another, envying one another. So you really have a choice. Either you can be old man or you can be new man. And let's talk about that tonight. So continuing with my liturgy, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. See, notice the uh, the contest. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There's this contending. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And we, in, we interpreted that as if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the condemnation of the law. You're not under the the um, the, 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 the legal power of the of the punishment of the law, you're not under the um, uh, the condemning power of sin that the law and sin have towards this relationship that they have towards one another that we're going to read about in Romans chapter 7 tonight. Um, you're not under the control of the flesh. That's what Paul means when he says you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the uh, control of your old nature. You're not under the domination of sin. You're not under the under the um, ultimate penalty that the law spells out for unrepentant sinners. Um, you're not under the bondage of sin. You're not under the bondage that, that the law uh, has over the sinful nature. Those are all the concepts that Paul's trying to explain when he says you're not under the law. But one of the things that he's not trying to convey, and we've studied this in the past, go back and pick up previous podcasts, perhaps maybe you show number 86 or 85 or 84, one of those uh, shows. Um, what Paul is not saying is that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the um, obligation to walk into the law. That's not a translation or interpretation that's allowable based on the theology of Ezekiel that we just read about in verse 27 of chapter 36 where God says explicitly that the effect of God putting his spirit within Israel will cause them, so notice cause and effect, um, the, the, if, if God puts his spirit within Israel, gives them a new heart, well then the effect will be that they will walk in his statutes and keep his ordinances and do them. Therefore, Torah observance is the natural expected result of having a heart transplant by God himself and having the spirit regenerate the individual. If that's the case, then we know for a fact that when Paul says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, that this last phrase, you're not under the law, cannot mean that we're not under obligation to, according to use the words of, of Ezekiel chapter 30, 36, that we're not under obligation to walk in God's statutes and keep his ordinances and do them. You guys understand the theology there? So, it's a better way to interpret this verse by letting the, the theology of the Tanakh uh, guide us in our interpretation of what the apostolic scriptures are teaching us. Let's keep reading in our liturgy. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, verse 20 now, uh, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, starting in verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And last week, uh, we looked at this uh, phrase, do such things, those who do such things. We know that in the Greek, this is a, an active participle, and it is... Um, and we'll see this in the Greek in a moment, we'll see that this, this word conveys the sense of, of an ongoing lifestyle that's characterized by the things that were listed here in this, in this list of the works of the flesh. It's not that Paul's saying that if you as a believer trip up and do these things from time to time, that you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God, or that if you as a believer in your, in your, uh, in your endeavor to be pleasing to God, you you accidentally commit a sin here and there that somehow you're going to forfeit your salvation or lose your salvation if you suddenly dr- drop back into fits of anger or enmity or strife or or idolatry or or drunkenness. You know, you get drunk and oops, you've lost your salvation. That's not what Paul's teaching at all. The Greek supports the concept that that Paul's describing the old man with his old lifestyle. And it's it's proof of, by looking at the verbs there, those who do such things, the tenses of the verbs, the mood of the verb, and things like that. And I, and I pointed that out it's either last week or the week before. I want you to go back and get the podcast if you're not sure what I'm talking about. But the point is, be assured that as a believer, that your salvation, I believe, is secure in the finished work of Messiah and in the infilling of the Spirit. God has invested quite a bit in you as his child, and he's not going to simply kick you out of the family based on one or two um, uh, breaches of contract, right? Not one or, you know, one or two infractions, one or two uh, uh, breakings of his law. He's not going to kick you out if you just suddenly uh, drop back into the old uh, you, uh, every now and then. The point is, though, if you find your life characterized repeatedly and unremorsefully by things that would be described by this list, then it's perhaps an indicator that you have a head knowledge of salvation, but not really a heart uh, reality of salvation. In other words, this is to help you distinguish between if you truly are a child of God or not, because there are many people out there who are deceived by their own brains, or deceived by their own spirit, by their own mind, by the voice in their head that tells them they're saved just because they attend church all their life or were raised by Christian parents or uh, walked down the aisle and, and you know said the sinner's prayer, uh, something like that. If the spirit hasn't taken up residence within you, then you're not truly a child of God. Um, and that, that's plain and simple. So if your life is characterized by sin and you're unremorseful about it, if you have no guilt about it, or if you find yourself um, repeatedly over and over drawn to sin and there, there doesn't seem to be any conviction from uh, a Holy Spirit presence within you, well, then perhaps you need to rethink your salvation. You need to, to consider that you know, maybe you're just playing salvation, or maybe you've been deceived, or maybe the devil's fooling, or something like that, right? A genuine child of God will, will, will feel uh, guilty about sin. There'll be the conviction of the Holy Spirit. There'll be your own conviction. There'll be um, uh, remorse when you sin. There'll be a sorrowful uh, sense that you grieve the Holy Spirit, that you've disappointed God, that you've broken His laws, that you're walking in a way that's 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 um, um, 
you know, unbecoming of a Christian, things like that. Uh, all of those are indicators that you're genuine follower after Messiah is that there's that spiritual activity, the, 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 the witness on the inside. So uh, you need to listen for that. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit, right? These are the verses that we memorize as, as uh, Bible students growing up, going, you know, going attending Sunday school. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23, gentleness, self-control, you know, all those nine there. Against such things there is no law. Uh, and we talked about last week how that there's the, the, the law is not in opposition to these the, to this fruit single single uh, noun there fruit of the spirit not fruits but fruit the the, the, the Torah isn't is in opposition right there's not a rivalry going on between the law and the fruit of the spirit rather I think what the verse is trying to say in its most natural sense is that Paul knows that as a spirit-led believer whether Jew or Gentile the Torah actually is in agreement with the fruit of the spirit and why would Paul think that because again what we just read in, in Ezekiel the the walking in the statutes and keeping the ordinances and doing them is a, a, an indicator of fruit. It's and We can actually even identify it as fruit, the fruit of naturally being filled with the Spirit of God and having the new heart and spirit that God himself has supplied. So if God is the one that supplies the new heart and the new spirit, well then the fruit that we can expect from such a change in status is the fruit of walking in the, the ways of God, keeping the ordinance of God, doing them. That's all part of the fruit, what we call the sanctification. It's it's a result of what God is doing on the inside. It's not fruit that we can produce on our own. And so the fruit of the Spirit includes uh, love for God, love for one's neighbor, keeping the Torah the way God designed it to be kept. And so that's why Paul can say that when when he's naming off these nine fruits of the Spirit or the, the ninefold aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, that there is no law that stands in op- opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. Against such things there is no law, right? Okay, and then in verse 24, 25, 26, which we're going to study tonight, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires... Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, this is a really neat verse, if we live by the Spirit or if we are brought to life by the Spirit, we can either look at this as a subjective or an objective. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Right, We're going to examine that Greek word uh, to keep in step with the Spirit tonight. Let us, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And that's our liturgy from the English. Let's go back and read the uh, Greek real quick. Let me pull the interlinear uh, chapters so that we can uh, point out some of the different words that we're going to encounter here. Um, for those of you who are with me in the live class, you should be able to see my screen. I'm using, once again, the BibleHub.com's interlinear version. And if we start in verse 16 with our liturgy, uh, we read in the Greek. And we're just I'm just going to read this Greek right in the middle of the black part there. Uh, the Greek says, Lego de pneumati parapateta kai epithemian sarkas u me talesita. Verse 17, He sarks epithemae katatu pneumatas to de pneuma katate sarkas tauta gara alelois antiketai hina me haien theleta tauta poeta. Verse 18, E de pneumati agiste uk este hupanaman. Verse 19, Fanera de esten ta. Erga te sarkas, that's the works of the flesh, the erga, 
Ergat Tesarkas. And now he lists them, right? Which are Hatina Istin, Pornea, which is sexual immorality, Akatharsia, impurity, Aselgia, sensuality, starting in verse 20, uh, Eidolatria, which is idolatry. You can even hear the same words, right? Eidolatria, idolatry, Eidolatria in the Greek. Uh, and I'll stop reading the English here. I'll just read the Greek. Since we did this about two or three weeks back, right? Picked out each word. Uh, continuing with sorcery, pharmakeia, echthrai, eres, zelos, thumoi, erethei, dikastasiai, hyresis, phthanoi, methai, komoi, and the things like these, kaita, homoia, tautois, ha, prolego, human, kathos, proepon, uh, which, you know, things I warned you about before, hati hoita toyauta prasantes, things that, that you continue to keep doing, there's that Greek word, uh, the things that you are doing, right, the prasantes, this is the verb that's the present participle, and it's active, so it's it's a participle in the sense that it's an ing, it's ongoing, it's present tense, you're doing it, and it's active in the sense that you're the one doing it, it's not something being done to you. And uh, that's that's why we can characterize this this verb as the lifestyle of someone who does these things. The natural uh, behavior of a person who acts this way is a person that proves that he does not what basilean theu susan. A person who does not uh, the kingdom of God inherit that uh, will not inherit that fancy six syllable Greek word right kleronome susan. Starting in verse 22 in the Greek here, halt de karpas tu panumatas, but the fruit of the spirit, Estin, is, and now Paul lists the nine that we're familiar with agape, chara, irene, makrothumia, krestates, agotusune, pistis, and then starting in verse 23, prautes, inkratea, kataton toyuton, uk. Estin namas, right? Against such things there is no namas, no law. And then verse 24. Hoi de tu Christu Yesu, ten sarake estarusen, suntois patemasen, kai teis epitomias. And then verse 25. E zomen penumati, penumati kai stoichumen. If we live by the Spirit, then we need to walk by the Spirit. This Greek word stoichumen, uh, the root word... Uh, is stoikeo, uh, I believe. Let me click on it and find out. Yeah, I was right. The the root word is stoikeo, uh, and this verb uh, has a sense of walk by, but really, if we look at the word help studies, in other words, the lexiconic part, this word is rooted in a word that was used in the military. Uh, notice it says it's from um, stoiox, which is um, stoiox, I'm sorry. They don't have the really Greek wording there, so I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce this. They just have the English uh, equivalent transliteration. But anyway, this word uh, 47, 48 stems from a word that describes a row or line or rank properly. It says to walk in line in strict accordance to a particular pace, a stride, or walk in cadence to keep in step. So you've seen the picture of military uh, individuals, military soldiers who uh, are walking in cadence with a, a, a commander or a, a drill sergeant next to them. You know, they're going left, right, left, right, and they're all walking together. They're keeping the same stride, the same, 
same cadence. Oftentimes they're singing, you know, a song left, 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 right, left. And I was, I'm, I was in the military. I'm ex-military, so I know what this looks like. I've experienced it when I was in the army. And that's what this word stoikeo, this root Greek verb, is trying to describe. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, we should by the Spirit, we should also keep in step with the Spirit, which is translated as walk by the Spirit. But there's this sense that the Spirit is giving us marching orders. And we, as the soldiers of God, are walking according to the steps. You know, the Spirit says, take a left step, and we go left step. And the Spirit says, take a right step. So the Spirit is the one who is our drill sergeant, although not the harsh version, right? He's the one telling us left, 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 right, left. And and that's how we walk by the Spirit. We receive our marching orders from the Spirit is is really the the, the, the picture that Paul's conveying when he says we should stoikomen, uh, keep in step by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. And then the final Pasuk, verse 26, may genomitha kenadaxoi alleluus, prakaluminoi alleluis fatantuntis. And uh, this uh, is the final uh, warning against uh, those who want to continue to gratify the, the desires of flesh and live the old lifestyle. Um, if, if that's the way you're going to live, you're going to be boastful and you're going to provoke one another and you'll, you'll envy one another. And that's, that's the old nature that's just uh, uh, acting out. So don't live that way. All right, that's our liturgy for tonight, the extended version of the liturgy. And I... I, I kind of extended it a little bit because we don't have a lot of material in the notes and I, I could afford the extra time. Let's turn now um, to, let me just switch this back over to ESV for a split second because I might need need it later on. All right, let's turn now to uh, the notes and we are going to finish out chapter 5 tonight. And as I mentioned uh, in, in the show notes that you're subscribed to, there's, only, there's not even a full page worth of notes. We're, in the, we're near the top of page 172. We're going to cover verses 24 to 26. And then if we have time, uh, I think we'll go to the bottom of the hour since I started a little late. Um, I think we've got about 20 more minutes left, and I think I'll have time to hit some notes out of Romans chapter, some thoughts out of Romans chapter 7, and maybe if we have time, we'll even talk uh, about some information from another commentary that I wrote entitled Trust and Obey. All right, let's see what time we can make. All right, let's start with the um, the uh, commentary here. We're in my commentary on the middle of page 172, and in, starting in verse 24, we read, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So that's 24 through 26, the end of the passage like we just read. And we're in this context of talking about, again, Paul has described the works of the flesh, and then he described the fruit of the Spirit. And the, the, the key to understanding, at least I, as I understand it, one of the keys to understanding the thrust of what Paul is talking about is that there is a there are two types of people that are always in view in the Torah. You're either saved or you're unsaved. That's it. There are no in-betweens. There's no purgatory. There's no, uh, you're either half saved and half not saved. It doesn't work that way. You're either born from above or you're still dead in your trespasses and sin. That's the language that the Bible, that's the word pictures that the Bible gives us. That's the explicit theology that Paul works from. You're either a new man or you're an old man. You're one of the two. You're either within the kingdom of God or you're still within the kingdom of darkness. And based on which kingdom you belong to, based on which status you enjoy, then there will be a, a, 
a responsibility that is incumbent upon you. There will be realities that are that are um, um, available to you based on uh, which kingdom you live in. So that's why he says those who belong to Christ Jesus. Notice those who do not belong to Christ Jesus have not crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Again, we got the contrast working there. So here's what I have to say in my comments. Bringing his comments of chapter 5 to a close, Paul reiterates the true believer's position in Messiah. These are for saved people. We are actually dead to sin. That's our new status. And we're going to see this if we get to Romans chapter 7. We're dead to sin. We died in Messiah. If we belong to Messiah, then we identify with Messiah. And when Messiah died, then we died also. We died with him. Our body died. Our old nature died. We're dead to sin. We are dead to legalism. We're dead to any misuse of Torah. We're dead to any misunderstandings of Torah. This means we're dead to uh, any perversions of Torah. We're, we're dead to the old ideology, the old mindset that teaches that you have to work your way or earn your way to heaven. We're dead to trying to earn God's favor. For the Galatian Christian, it means that he doesn't need to undergo an unnecessary legal status change from Gentile to Jew as if that will somehow improve his existing right standing with God and Messiah. So we're dead to that old nationalistic way of viewing the Torah as a document that was for Jews only, a document that can only be walked out by a member of Israel, a document that is um, uh, uh, reserved for an ethnic Jew, something like that, right? We're dead to that theology, we're dead to that ideology, we're dead to that, that limited, restricted use of the Torah. To be sure... Outside of the genuine heart change that happens when we're filled with the Spirit of Yeshua, a change in ethnicity, if such a thing is possible according to some, a change in ethnicity, in Paul's mind, can never do anything to improve our true inner man, especially if that man is an old man. We talked about this last week as well. If you have not been set free by Messiah, if you've not been saved yet, if you've not been born again, to use the language of Yeshua, then you are still dead in your trespasses and sin, you still got the old nature that you inherited from Adam controlling you. And therefore, your status is still dead, as it were. There, there's, there's a sense that you cannot really even understand what life is like in the spirit because your eyes are blinded. When you're dead, you, you can't see the world of the living. Right? The dead have no knowledge of what's going on around them, to use that analogy. So from Paul's theological perspective, dead men can't serve God. They can't be filled with the Spirit of God. They can't uh, keep the Torah of God. They can't agree with the law of God. And we, and we read that explicitly in Romans chapter 8, around verse 13, I think somewhere around there. Um, uh, they can't be pleasing to God. If you are in the flesh, if you are an old man, you can't do anything about that to improve your situation. So this conversion to Judaism, this conversion to changing your status from Gentile to Jew, like was being uh, uh, pushed very heavily in the first century, uh, this Jewish-only Israel, this Jewish nationalism, this this Torah that was reserved for Jews only, that whole nonsense. All of that that mindset from the first century perspective, the reason that doesn't work is because your conversion only changes the outside of the cup. It's like Yeshua described it. The outside of the cup becomes polished, but the inside is full of you know refuse, garbage, dead men's bones, you know things like that. The tomb looks white on the outside. It's all polished. You can clean up the outside. You can change your status on the outside. You can go from Gentile to Jew. You can go from slave to free. You can even change your uh, these days. You can even change your uh, your um, 
your uh, your gender, right? You can, if you think you're a man trapped in a woman's body or a woman trapped in a man's body, whatever. You can change the outside. But from God's perspective, it doesn't do anything about the heart change. It doesn't change the inner man. It doesn't change who you truly are, how the way God sees you. Only God can do that. And that's why the book of Ezekiel describes the change from God's perspective. He's the one that initiates the heart change and the, the, the infilling of the spirit. He's the one that does the heart transplant. He's the master surgeon. Only he is the one that can do that. Right. So, as I say in my commentary, as Paul's going to go on and write in Romans chapter 6, verse 2, which is a wonderful passage to read in, 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 in concert with what we're reading here in the book of uh, Galatians, in Romans 6, 2, Paul teaches, quote, how can we who died to sin still live in it, end quote, right? So we are dead to sin, and we need to reckon ourselves as dead to sin. Indeed, we have, in fact, been given a new nature in Yeshua. That's what Ezekiel's talking about when he talks about the heart of flesh and the heart of stone. Um, it's, a, it's a new nature that God's going to put within Israel when he gives them the new heart, the heart of flesh. And this, this new nature in Yeshua is one that does not seek to belong to the ways of the world, but instead seeks to be pleasing to the one who shed his very lifeblood so that we might live as new creations unto God. And that's why Torah observance is the natural fruit uh, that one can expect it by uh, being filled by the Spirit, loving God, loving your neighbor. Those are, those are all Torah concepts that, that come about as a result of having your uh, heart transplant. Let's keep reading. Since we live, the Greek zao, uh, zao, I'm sorry, not zao, zao, it's an, it's an omega, not an omicron, the, the, the O letter there. The, if we live, right, if we exist among the living, if we enjoy life, if we have vital power, that's what that Greek word um, zao means. If we look up Thayer's and Smith's Bible Dictionary, footnote number 161 in my commentary. If we live by the Spirit, like Paul says in this verse, let us also by His Spirit walk. And we talked about this in the liturgy. By the Spirit of Yeshua living inside of us, Paul emphasized that because we have been brought to life, Right? There's a kind of a dual meaning in this word, zao. If we live by the Spirit, not just have life by the Spirit, but have been brought to life by the Spirit, right? Both, it goes both ways. If we live by the Spirit, then we also, like Paul says, and here's, the, here's what we call the, the two sides of the coin of justification and sanctification being seen in one passage. We live by the Spirit. That's the, that's the I believe Paul is primarily talking about the, the justification part. We've been brought to life. We've been brought into existence by the power of the Spirit, right? He's the one that brought us to life. So that's the justification side of the coin. And then we flip that one coin over, and we 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 Paul now describes the sanctifying part. We also keep in step. There's that Greek voice, that Greek phrase, that Greek uh, uh, verb stoikeo. We keep in step, right? A word that has military connotations or of proceeding or marching in a row. Footnote number one sixty two from to the TSBD again on stoikeo. We because we live by the Spirit, the justification part. We also keep in step with the Spirit, the sanctification part. So it's one coin, two sides. And it's the important point to note is that it's both sides that are important, that, that, that are needed to describe the true existence of the coin. From God's perspective, the coin has both sides. And we in the church sometimes get tripped up on which is more important in God's view, justification or sanctification. The answer is both are vitally important in God's economy. Justification and sanctification are both important. Obviously, genuine sanctification can't start 
or can't come about unless there's genuine justification. So I understand there's a there's a procession to it. There's an order. It is true. The the justification that comes first, which leads to or causes, right? There's another cause and effect there again of sanctification. So it is, there's, a, there's an order there. There's a possession. There's a sequence, if you want to call it that way. There's a syntax. But um, both, at one, once, the, once the transformation takes place in Messiah, right? Once, sanctif- once justification does play, take place, well, then genuine sanctification must follow. And we're going to read about that here in a moment as we look through the book of James and things like that. So, I go on to say in my notes with the Spirit, right? With the Spirit uh, keeping us in step, uh, we can understand now as we read through Paul's writings that it's vital, indeed, all of the apostolic writings speak this way. It's vital that we understand the teachings on what we call old man versus new man. It's a status change. It's a change in status, a change in our in our legal position before God, in our legal status, a change in our in our, in our not just in our nature, but a change in who we are as God views us. This is what we mean by old man, new man. In Paul, old man is a way of describing the old nature or the old volition or the old will of a person before coming to genuine faith in Jesus as Lord. So old man is is unsaved. By contrast, I say in my notes here, new man is a way of describing our nature or volition or will once we have surrendered to Yeshua's lordship. Let's read about this new man in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let's use the King James Version for this one. Therefore, quote, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Look at that, new creature, new, new, new. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new, end quote. And yes, this is a transformation change, right? In the book of Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 27, I think it is, we notice that the heart transplant, I'm sorry, verse uh, uh, 30, 26, 36, 26. When God says, a new heart I'll give you and a new spirit I'll put within you and take out the stony heart and replace it with a heart of flesh, that's a, a dramatic change in the, in the condition of national Israel. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's a, the change is black and white, is the point I'm trying to make. It's, it's life from the dead, to, to quote Paul in, in Romans chapter, I think it's chapter 11, where he talks about it in his olive tree theology. And the, near the end of that chapter, he talks about once Israel accepts Yeshua, what will it be but life from the dead. So the point I'm trying to make is that there's a contrast in the Bible between the old nature, the old, the old man, the old things that get passed away, that are passed away once we become a believer in Messiah. We are a new creature. All right. And and most of this is, um, I'm speaking to the choir, but here's the part where most of us make a disconnect when it comes to the Torah. All right, listen up. I'll conclude my commentary with this thought. Top of page 173, and we just have a few paragraphs left to read in my study. The truth of the matter is, all right, listen up, those of you who've been raised in traditional Christian homes to believe that once you become a believer in Messiah, that you no longer have any... Um, obligation to keep the Torah. In other words, to, to look at that verse, verse 18 again, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And your average uh, sermon is going to explain this last clause, not under the law, as not under obligation to keep the law of Moses, a.k.a. the the uh, the, the, the Torah. In other words, the, your average sermon is going to tell you that if you're led by the Spirit, meaning if you're a believer... Right? If you're a Christian, you don't have to keep the Torah. You're not under the law. You don't have any obligations. So don't let anyone come along, any of these Torah teachers, 
uh, or Messianic rabbis or or this Hebrew roots movement or the Messianic movement. These all these people don't let them come along and tell you that you need to be keeping kosher and that you should be keeping the Sabbath and that you should be um, uh, keeping the festivals and that you should be wearing tzitzit and and keeping a mezuzah on your door and and don't let them tell you that you need to do all those mosaic things because all of that has been done away with because you're led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. In fact, they're going to go on to say that, and this is a phrase we're going to read later on in Galatians chapter 6, They're going to they, these same <clears throat> standard sermons are going to explain to you that you're not under the law of Messiah. I'm sorry, you're not under the law of God. You're now under the law of Messiah. Right? Your obligation is to the law of Christ instead of the law of Moses, something like that. So listen up. It's to you that I'm explaining this last section in my notes here. The truth of the matter is that Torah observance exists from God's perspective as a matter of the heart. It's not something that should be external. From the beginning, God enjoined Israel to write the words of God on their hearts. We read about that in the Shema, right? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And these words that I'm commanding you today shall be upon where? Your heart. And you should teach them diligently to your children, right? Speak of them uh, I'm sorry, that's verse, I think that's verse uh, 6, Deuteronomy 6, 6, something around there. 4, 5, 6, working through the, the, the love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then these words. Yeah, I think it's verse 6. So the truth of the matter is Torah observance has always been a matter of the heart. It's not a it's not a side thought that God said, gee, wouldn't it be novel if instead of asking them to keep the Torah on the outside, wouldn't it be novel? God kind of confers with himself. Wouldn't it be novel if, if I could get them to keep the Torah on the inside? No, it's always been that way. That's why we read it in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verse 27. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, right? If the laws of God are are on your heart, like we read about in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34, then Torah observance is going to be the natural byproduct of, of having the spirit of God write the words of God on your heart. All right, so... Let's read this in the final uh, section of my notes here, top of page 173. Torah observance is a matter of the heart. It always has been, and it always shall be, right? I say in my notes this way. Genuine and lasting covenant membership, right? There's our status change. That's the new man that is brought to life as a result of, of our placing our faith in Messiah and having God's spirit uh, take up residency within us, right? That's the, last, the genuine and lasting covenant membership that's described by the Bible, that type of membership will always be characterized by genuine and lasting obedience. Understand? There is a cause and effect going on in the Bible. And this is the disconnect that, that we're sometimes taught in traditional Christian uh, theology or that we read about in your average Christian uh, commentary or that, or that we pick up if you attend your average Christian uh, sermon on Sunday. You're going to be taught that your new status as a believer, as a Christian, sets you free from an obligation to the Torah. It, there's a break between you and Torah observance. But that's not, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's actually that there's a break between you and the power of sin in your life. There's a break between you and the old nature. There's a break between you and your old propensity, your old volition, your old will. Um, that's the break that, that, that the Bible's describing. So let's read about this. Um, uh, the expected fruit or the expected behavior of uh, or the expected lifestyle of a genuine follower, right? Someone who says they have faith in God 
should there be now the the, the sanctification that should follow after the justification, the one coin with two sides? Um, should there be a cause and effect, the cause being you know the, the justification and then the effect being the sanctification? Um, how does the Bible describe this in the book of James, or the, really we could call it the book of Jacob, right? the book of Yaakov? Let's read the very familiar passage from James, Jacob, chapter 2, verse 14 through 26. Out of the ESV, it reads, quote, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have faith? works. Can that faith save him? And then he gives this analogy. James says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? Right? So we got this very uh, practical illustration that James supplies for us. Um, He goes on to say, so, using this analogy, so faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. Notice then we make the instant connection that the works in this passage is the providing the the um, poorly clothed person and the person who doesn't have any daily food. We're supposed to provide them with their daily needs. That's the works that Yaakov is describing in his little uh, analogy here. So faith without works is dead, he says. But if, but some of you now he, he anticipates the argument from his from those who kind of disagree with his theology. Some will say, or, or you know, he describes two people here. This this contest. Some people will say, "You have faith and I have works, right, brother?" No, no, no. You've got your faith, but I've got my works, right? Look at all the good works that I've got. You've got your faith, I've got my works. We're both okay. Maybe this is a description of an unbeliever who who is maybe an otherwise a very good person. Um, we could describe them as an unbelieving Jew who, uh, in James' day and in, in Jacob's day, would essentially. Uh, a religious Jew would would see himself as keeping Torah, right? He's got all these works. He's got the the actions that are done as a result of his his belonging to the people group known as Israel. So he's got the works he believes that are uh, a result of his being a genuine covenant member in Israel, right? He thinks everything's okay. Or maybe this, if we you know, fast forward this to 21st century um, church theology, then basically the people who visit church who think they're Christians because they're because they're just in church, right? They're raised in a Christian family, right? They they went to a Christian school, or they you know they read their Bible every now and then, or you know they generally do good things, good deeds in society. They think you know I'm okay. I got my works. You know they you guys you got you got your faith, and I've got my works. What's the big deal? James says it this way: Show me your faith apart from your works which is going to be nothing, and I'll show you my faith by my works. You understand it? You show me a faith that's apart from works, and I'll show you that my faith is vindicated by my works. You believe that God is one. This is why I think he's talking to a Jew, because he says, you believe God is one, you do well, right? Because that's kind of standard Jewish theology, both of the first century as well as 21st century today, is that, you know, Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, you believe God is one. He kind of alludes to the Shema there, which is basically traditional Jewish theology. You believe God is one, you do well. Great. Even the demons believe. Wow. Ouch. Kind of slams their, their, their childlike mentality when we talk about, hey, I believe that God is one. Even the demons believe and shudder. The point is, belief alone is, as Jacob's, you know, bringing the the the, the stinging theology to home. Uh, 
Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? That's why he kind of changes his tone here. Do you, want to ch- do you want to be shown, you foolish person? And of course, God is the one who's going to be showing this to them, that faith apart from works is useless. Who's setting the standard here, people? It's God that's setting the standard. God is the one who gets to um, make have the final say. He's the one that gets the final word on whether your faith is alive or dead based on the the a fruit that is born out of said faith, right? Let's continue reading Jacob here. Um, was not Abraham, he's going to give this example of, of faith leading to works, or that is to say works vindicating faith. He's going to give this example straight from Torah. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? And he's going to jump straight to Genesis chapter 22 when he offered up his son Isaac, Isaac on the altar, right? So you see, and this is Jacob seeing the, 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 what the Torah passage there out of the book of Genesis is conveying to us. So you see that faith was active in Abraham along with his works. And faith was completed or vindicated or demonstrated by his works. It was proven by his works, is what Jacob's trying to say here. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, quote, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him or counted to him as righteousness, end quote. Of course, that's Genesis 15, 6. And that's the famous passage that Paul brings into his um, writings quite often uh, in Romans, and we read it in Galatians as well. And so uh, Jacob's quoting it for us also. Abraham believed in God, that is to say he had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So the righteousness, the, the final verdict that God is pronouncing upon Papa Abraham, is a verdict that includes not just the faith of Abraham, but the faithfulness. Those are the two coin, sides of the coin again. Faith being the side A, faithfulness being side B. Or to use Christian theology, justification, that's side A, sanctification, that's side B, right? So it's the two sides working together. Let's finish James here. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works, right? Now we're bringing a Gentile into the picture, just in case you were unclear that maybe only Jews can receive this type of status, right? Abraham being the father of, the, of Israel, the father of the Jewish people, so to say. Now we've got Rahab, who's clearly not a, a Jew, but a Gentile here. Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way, right? You have to go go back and read the story about how she hid the spies and things like that. She was justified by her faith in what they said. You know, they told her, hey, you hang the scarlet thread and we'll come back and make sure that you don't get destroyed when we destroy the city, Joshua told the inhabitants of Jericho. Uh, Go back and read the story in the book of Joshua. But Rahab was justified when she received the messenger. She sent them out by another way. She warned them, hey, don't go this way. Otherwise, you know, the the, the inhabitants are going to uh, kill you. So I want to help you. I want to save you. And 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 they, you know, make sure you save me. I think I'm getting the story right. Go back and read it to make sure. If I get it wrong here, then you guys can correct me. But what does what does Jacob say? For as the body, here's his final conclusion to his theology. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, right? Using a, an analogy from life itself. If the if the spirit departs the body, what do you have? You have a corpse. You have nothing. So body apart from the spirit is dead. So also faith. Faith apart from works is dead. The two are needed together to describe a living person, a living, uh, uh, breathing person in God's eyes. All right. And that was James Jacob 2, 
14 through 26. And also look at this last verse from Ephesians 2, 8, 9, another verse that most of us had probably memorized growing up, at least I did out of the KJV. Uh, it reads, quote, For by grace are you saved, have you been saved through faith? And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, right, of, of works of the flesh, or not a result of works of the law, or not a result of, of merit theology, <clears throat> not a result of, of, of self-effort, not a result of something you can do on your own, uh, Paul says. Uh, so it's not a result of works. I, I really think he means works of law, but uh, it's not a, a result of works, but so that no man may boast, right? Hey, look at my works are better than your works. I've got more works than you. Hey, nope, that's not how it works. So instead, Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. But notice why he even tells us. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works. He even uses the same Greek word, the erga, the Greek word erga in works, not a result of works, is also the same Greek word for works there in the second clause there, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God did what? This is a really neat part about this verse. God actually prepared these works, these good works, he prepared them when? beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, notice the two sides of the coin. We've been saved through faith. There's the faith part, the side A of the coin. That's the new heart that that Ezekiel talks about in Ezekiel 36 that we read about in our liturgy. That's the new spirit that's placed within us. That's ha- that happens through our faith in Messiah and the, the the regenerative work of the Messiah in our lives. That's the faith part. And then notice Paul goes on to describe the result or the effect or, the, you know, in the cause and effect example I'm using here, the fruit of the Spirit, so to say, is the good works that happen as a result of our being uh, filled with the Spirit of God. It's the good works that God not just hopes that we'll do. God doesn't just hope that we'll do these good works. He actually prepared them beforehand for us that we should walk in them. And the Bible goes on to teach that we're actually empowered to actually do them. God fills us with the Spirit so that we can actually do the good works that he beforehand prepared for us. So it's not that he just saves us and then wrings his hands and rolls the dice and and, and flips a coin in hopes that that somehow we we end up in the camp of keeping the Torah. That's not what God did. That's not how he does it. He didn't prepare this list in, in advance and then set us free and then say, okay, please, 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 if, if, if you've got some time, if it's convenient for you, if it's expedient for you, can you please gravitate towards keeping the Torah? No, that's not what he was expecting. Go back and look at it again, Ezekiel 36. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways. God is the one who causes us to walk in his statutes by his spirit. It's not something that we manufacture. It's it's because of this infilling of the spirit. It's because of our relationship to the spirit of God. It's this investment that God's spirit has within us that will create the fruit, the, 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 the fruit of the spirit, which means the spirit owns that fruit. That fruit is an investment of the, of the spirit himself. The spirit of God knows that there will be fruit because God's Spirit Himself is the one that's causing that fruit to grow in cooperation with, or I should say participation, uh, with us. In other words, it's that synergism all over again. It's us cooperating with the Spirit. All right, and I've basically used up all my time in the study. Um, I didn't get to Romans chapter 7. Maybe what I'll do is um, next week when we turn to chapter 6 and we start talking about um, 
we, we continue. Remember, that in, in the original letter that Paul wrote, there were no chapter breaks. There weren't even verse breaks. Uh, there weren't even word breaks, right? There was just all Greek letters, one right after another. Um, so that naturally, uh, the, the readers of Paul's letter would have just continued reading chapter 6, not breaking between Paul talking about the fruit of the Spirit and things like that. They would, they would have just continued with, uh, Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep, uh, keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ. All of these, 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 uh, this important theology that we're going to read about in chapter 6 of our Bibles Paul's readers would have just caught this in one reading. So we'll pick up the theology of being filled with the Spirit of God and walking according to the Spirit or keeping in step with the Spirit. Remember this Greek word stoikeo, to march, you know, to, to march in cadence with the Spirit as the Spirit is leading us. We'll pick that up with our um, look at Romans 7 next week, where we're going to talk briefly about Paul describing uh, our status change. It's all about the status change. Who are you in Messiah? Who are you in God's eyes? Have you uh, had a heart transplant yet? Um, do you know Messiah? Has the Spirit taken up residency within you? Or do you still have an old heart? Are you an old man? Are you controlled by the old nature? Are you still dead in your trespasses and sins? Are you unborn? Are you uh, still intimately identified with the, uh, the old nature that you inherited from Adam? Are you still under the law? Are you still uh, a, a, a slave to sin, as we read about in, in, in Romans chapter 6 as well? Um, we're going to, within that context, so it will launch probably next week, we'll actually start with Romans chapter 7 to look at some of this uh, theology here in these few, few verses. And then from there, we'll launch into uh, chapter 6 of Galatians, okay? But for now, let's close in prayer. For those of you who have joined me in the live study tonight, thank you for letting me go just a few minutes over the hour. Um, we'll entertain some Q&A uh, that will not be posted to the podcast. So if you're interested in picking my brain or just chatting with the other members in the class, uh, you've got to join me in the live study each week via Skype. Okay? So for now, let's close. Abba, I bless your name, and thank you for the opportunity to study. I thank you for the challenge that awaits us. I thank you for the responsibility to uh, not only uh, live by the Spirit, but to keep in step with the Spirit. We know, Lord, that you have commanded us to be filled with the Spirit. You've commanded us to love one another. Um, and these are commandments that are not contrary to your law. These are commandments that are not contrary to the spirit of what Moshe gave us in the Torah. Indeed, the, the thrust of, of Moshe's law, if we could call it that, the thrust of the Torah, properly understood, is in complete harmony and agreement with what average Christians call the New Testament. Lord, they fit together. There's not a disconnect between the two. We know as we look through the eyes of the Spirit, through eyes that have been opened by the Messiah himself, we know that we can now look at the law and we can understand, like Paul says, that um, we agree with the law on the inner on of the inner man we agree that the law is holy the commandment is holy righteous and good romans chapter 7 verse 20 we can now understand and agree like paul says in romans 7 that um uh uh we can uh, uh what do we say um i serve the law of god with my mind in, in romans 7:25 so thank you lord that we no longer have to view the law as this this harsh disciplinary and this 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 taskmaster that is hovering over us, waiting to bring down a gavel of condemnation. 
That's why we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation, but only for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have set us free from the evil propensity of sin, that you're, that you're bringing us out in stages, that you're, you're setting us free, uh, that your mercies are renewed day by day, and that we can seek forgiveness when we do lapse back into old habits and patterns of the sinful behavior, that there's forgiveness of sins, that there's washing and forgiveness and healing and wholeness, and uh, uh, there's a restoration. Lord, you're not about destroying us. You're about restoring fellowship and thank you, Lord, that we can have that, that opportunity that we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find mercy and be renewed day by day. Uh, keep us, Lord, in a place where we are uh, have our minds set on the Spirit. Uh, keep us reminded of the words of the Master. Uh, help us to walk in His footsteps. Help us to um, continue to love one another and extend that Messianic sympathy towards one another. And and in so demonstrate to the world, like you said, uh, they will know you, uh, it, uh, the, the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Help us to, to love one another so that we can be that light set on a hill. We can be that city set on a hill, that light uh, to those around us. Give us opportunities to witness. And Lord, we'd be careful to give you the praise and the glory. B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior, it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability. We have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>